Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deathbed Adaptation Podcast, a bi-weekly book club where we choose one classic book and compare and contrast it against its cinematic adaptations. I'm your host, Nicolo Grasso, and today I'm joined by a very, very good friend of mine and fellow film critic, Raphael Felix. How are you doing, Raphael? I'm really, really doing poorly. But I'm really happy to be to be here, and to it's it's my first experience talking about books in recording ways. Would be an interesting experience, I would say. Yeah, yeah. You, you shouldn't worry. As as I always say, you know, this is new for all of us. This is still <laughs> new for me, even after a year and a half of of doing this podcast, which is kind of crazy when I think about it. Yeah. But you know, it's it's the end of February. We've just gone through. Uh, wonderful wonderful episode talking about twilight and celebration of valentine's day uh some would say the most romantic book out there <laughs> wonderful wonderful amazing i love this yearly celebration we did 50 shades of gray the previous year which was equally as <laughs> as interesting a conversation my condolences to you and your fellows thank you thank you but i decided to kind of you know pivot to something that's still kind of in the same realm, you know, relationships, uh, female characters, female protagonists who have uh, a big burden on their shoulders, but something that's more serious, something that's more uh, important, I'd say, than anything that poor Bella Swan goes through in Twilight. Um, Because today we're talking about Anir Nose Living a Month, aka Happening, which was turned in 2021 into a film by Audrey D1. Bon, et alors les études Ça va bientôt avoir son diplôme avec mention. Ça va, c'est pas la modeste. On le sait bien que t'es doué. J'ai tellement peur de pas réussir aux examens. Si j'ai pas la moyenne, l'année prochaine, je suis sur un tracteur. Bah, j'ai l'esprit ailleurs. Et on sait où Qu'est-ce que t'as T'as pas le comme tout T'as pas nous faire une maladie maintenant Vous êtes enceinte, mademoiselle. Je suis désolée. C'est pas possible. It's kind of hard to start talking about L'Evenement, because where do you start? This book was written in the year 2000 by Anir No, and it's one of those rare non-fiction books that we talk about on this podcast. Anir No is a French writer, uh, one of the more important ones. Recently, she won a, a Nobel Prize for, for, for writing, and rightfully so, because I have, I'm not as familiar with her other books as you are, probably, because I think you've read another one of her books, I've right? read Lisanne's. Yeah. Lisanne. And, and she is fantastic. Truly really one of the revolutionary writers of France. She has been writing since the late 60s, early 70s, on and off again. But L'Evenement, which she wrote in 2000, is about her personal experience with abortion. Because in the early 60s, in France, abortion was illegal. And unfortunately, she ended up being pregnant. And she was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm studying, I'm, I'm, in, I, I'm in school, I want to continue going to university, which is not a given at the time, especially from a woman coming from a working class uh, background. And she's like, you know what, I don't want this. This is literally coming at the worst possible time in my life. And everyone around her tells her, no, <laughs> don't do this, because you'll get in trouble, you might lose your life, you might lose your freedom, because you'll go to jail, and everyone who supports you will go to jail with you. 
but she is strong, brave, and she's like, well, I'm I'm gonna find a way to do this. And so in this book, which is very short, I want to say probably the shortest non-short story that we've talked about. This is a novella, barely 100 pages long. She packs in every little detail, both personal uh, and historic, of what she went through with this experience. Raphael, what are your thoughts on Anizer Noz living in a month or happening? I love this book. Um... I, I came from a, a recent experience of reading the, the other book, and it was quite a shock to me at first, mm. uh, the style of writing. It's um, it's very sparse, but it's super intimate uh, at, uh, at the same time. Um, the fact that she splits um, pretty much all the book in distinct uh, paragraphs that go between thoughts and ideas and moments with... Uh, such fluidity I, I would say it's super intimate um, and especially when you when you look at this and there are some some po- some paragraphs uh, especially going through to the later part of the book where mm-hmm. you have the the moments where she actually talks about the experience of writing the book uh, it just adds a bit more to, to not only to her process but how she she looks uh, 40 years later to a world that right now feels ancient she even says it herself both in her in this book and uh, the the other one that i can't say the name because i'm terrible at french <laughs> but you can say Lisanne. Uh, yes exactly <laughs> which is an yes i'll i'll say the, the name in english the years is an, also an amazing book um so yeah it's uh, such an intimate uh, experience uh, quite a different experience from the the, the film i would say um, but it's uh, such an intimate and sometimes heartbreaking but um, really practical uh, she writes in such a um, practical terms sometimes it's such a cold way to write some stuff that it sometimes that coldness turns into actually uh, poetry and, and mm. true beauty um i really really love this book really really loved it. yeah i i completely agree um this was actually my second time reading this book because i remember in, in late 2021 after this you know after the film adaptation won the golden lion at venice um it was actually bought in my local library and i was like yeah let's get it and so i, I read it together with with my mother and sister and i, w- I was blown away um because of exactly what she said, it's so it's so short and brief, she wastes no time. Every single paragraph in this book feels like it's saying something profound in one way or the other. And there's one thing that you said especially about this, that it's so cold, it's so calculated. I was like, well, like some people might... I, I think in, in someone else's writing, be it fiction or non-fiction, it could be seen as, you know, maybe a, a bit distasteful as well. But there is one part in here where she talks about, you know, I was I was trying to find ways on how this would work and how even, like, you know, how would you get an abortion and stuff? And I go to medical books and there's <laughs> nothing written in that. And there's no details whatsoever. And it's all just about, you know, the, the legalities of it and why you shouldn't do it. But there's no actual, like, proper descriptions and ways to document yourself. And so I think, in a way, she's creating a proper capsule of what it was back then to actually go through something like this. And so she does kind of alternate these more poetic reflections on herself uh, with the procedural, almost, elements of what it's like to go through all of this. Uh, And it gets dark 
and it gets a bit scary as well, but it also becomes very beautiful. And that's actually something that I really appreciated. She said that rereading the book, I was like, man, this is, really does add that extra something that truly makes it borderline a masterpiece, I'd say, a must read even, is the fact that it's all written 40 years down the line and there's so much self-reflection from Ernaud, which kind of makes me <laughs> go into the, the the other reason that I found this this book very interesting to talk about, which is, holy shit, this is still relevant uh, in ways that it shouldn't be. And it's it almost it really moves me. I don't know how you feel about that, but just when she's talking about, you know, I I, I live in a world where where these things can happen now a bit more freely. <laughs> And there's this hopefulness and light in the final pages of this book that's almost, I don't want to say it feels absent because thankfully we're not in 1963. Thankfully times have actually changed, but there are people who want to, you know, drag us back, (laughs) which is very upsetting. Even just recently, it's, it was a crazy coincidence that in January, uh, some members of the Italian parliament and politicians, including female ones, have been trying to push, you know, anti-abortion laws <laughs> again. And it's just, why? Why are we still doing this in 2023? Yeah, uh, we, uh, and like a few weeks ago too, uh, in Spain, they tried to do some, um, I would say, emotional violence t- towards women that take try to, to take abortions oh. uh, when you yeah they're trying to implement uh, an idea that's that is almost imported from the from the states where you need to listen to the heartbeat of the baby uh, before oh. you yeah so yeah this is not a, a problem from the past as we've seen from the what has been like the last two years in the supreme court of the united states of america mm. so yeah it's uh, it's problematic, and when you when you look at how Erno in uh, in two thousand uh, wrote about this, uh, and how she reflects, and she does the same in the years in a, a different way, I would say, because both her books are a lot about her just jiggling her own memory and how she looks at stuff from forty or six years, fifty years in the years and there's a difference a difference in the, in the reflection that she does in 2000 in a difference she did and the how she looked at the same experience in in 09 when she did uh, the years where she also mentions mm-hmm. the the abortion um from the 60s uh, quite a bit it's a, a major point in the, in the book too um and there's not as much optimism as mm-hmm. there is in um, in uh, happening Uh, and it's it's almost scary to a degree when you especially when you read both books and you see how her optimism just shrunk just a tiny bit uh in uh, Mm. in the way she writes uh, between those books that are actually torn apart in like 10 years i would say um so yeah it's still amazingly relevant both the book and the film um and it give they both give a completely different experience. But I would I would even I, I wouldn't say that they actually complement each other. But mm-hmm. I think they both give uh, interesting insights about this problem, not only in the sixties but uh, right now. Yeah, especially in terms of just the way that she writes it, it's entirely in first person, and you get to 
fully immerse yourself in what she was feeling and how she was feeling about everything surrounding her. And I think the most impressive thing, at least for me, was, again, similar to how she actually writes the book, like, she wastes no time. She's like, okay, this is happening, and I'm going to take action, and I'm going to try to find a solution as soon as possible because there's almost this ticking clock element that you can feel. Yes. Um, and and it's so frustrating, uh, and you can feel the... Not so much rage, but disappointment, I'd say, <laughs> that she has towards the people around her. Uh, especially, you know, the, the the let's call him boyfriend, kind of, the one who actually got her pregnant, who's completely, you know, dismissive. He separates himself from her. He's like, ah, it's, you know, it's your problem now. Um, another, uh, another friend of hers kind of tries to take advantage of the situation in a very uncomfortable way. Her, her actual friends, girlfriends, again, separate themselves from her because there's the risk of actually going to jail if they help her out. And it's, I mean, I, I cannot even imagine what it must have been like through go to go through all of that, keeping it secret from your parents, uh, trying to hide, you know, the belly that's slowly starting to grow because uh, the, um, the whole experience lasted three months. It was 12 weeks, more or less, uh, before she actually you know, managed to get the abortion. And even then it was a, a, a perilous journey. There's the entire sequence when she actually goes to to this woman. Um, how, how did you find that? The way she just puts it into words. <laughs> Again, it kind of goes into that clinical, yeah. whole, kind of detached. Um, it's, um, it's a tough reading. It's mm. obviously when you get to the last, like, 20 pages, uh, 20, 30 pages, it gets really heart-wrenching to... To degree, um, uh, yes, it, it's it's mostly because as as I said before, the way she actually she is looking at what she's writing at that moment, and you get to see that when she actually writes about it in those uh, sparse paragraphs where she's commenting on her own writing, and where she's struggling to understand if she, if she should just write like this and be as cold as it is about. Uh, the, the procedure itself and how it hurts and where everything went and how she felt it's uh, but yeah you you really need it. that coldness gives not only bravery to the book but it actually makes the, the experience so palpable that mm -hmm. it it actually might change minds I don't think uh, I, I think actually that um, or no did the book and she writes it herself once again and in the in between pages that she wants to turn what happened to her in writing and she wants the, her writing to turn into an happening too uh, and i think that is the actual uh, uh, goal of writing the procedures the abortion even the the abortion itself when it happens where the expression just uh, really left me cold a bit when when she's actually writing uh, like I don't know how we uh, did you read it in uh, in English in French uh, in I read Itali it the first time in Italian and the second time I got a French copy uh, with a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, help from a dictionary <laughs> okay so yeah th there's the uh, the the moment where she actually uh, gets the the abortion, the mm -hmm. the moment where she goes to the toilet, the word she uses is in translation to English is uh, "I need to shit," um, and that really got me like, 
oh wow, this is this is actually happening, and it's such in a crude way. It's like she's uh, writing from the point of view of the person she was at the exact moment she felt like she needed to mm-hmm. actually go, and not uh, just like she did in other parts of the book where she writes in a more detached way. That moment, the language she used, it's so personal, it's so cold and almost dirty to a degree. Uh, it's um, it really shook me. It really shook me. Those last thirty pages are. You can't stop reading actually because the the way that the paragraphs work and you just they're like uh, brief moments in time. They can be four years, three months. They can be ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But those paragraphs encapsulate such a moment and a, a feeling and a, a story in itself that you can't just stop reading and you have no idea what you're going to get next and especially when you're going through that those archer moments you're just looking for what she's feeling next and what's interesting is that sometimes it's really not that what you get Uh, you get something that she's feeling in a completely uh, different time but when you get to the abortion it's just that and so focused and so poignant Mm -hmm. that it's uh, it's it's harsh, I would say. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It, especially the fact that th- th- that's that's always one of the things you even mentioned it earlier. You know, with the woman who's forced to actually listen to the heartbeat of yeah. of the fetus. It's you know that's that's the how do, what, what's the name? It's the pro life. That's the pro life yeah. movement. That you know, every as long as it's if it's if it's there, it's already a child. You're killing the infant. All of these. Yeah very graphic imagery that's forced down your throat is, can, can actually, you know, completely change a person's perspective on, on, on abortion in a negative way, I believe, because I, I do, I do think just in general, like th- that's just human decency. Just leave people the choice. No one's forced to do anything. If you want to keep a child, keep it. Don't force other people who cannot afford it to risk losing their lives. Well, would have so many problems. Just go through it. And I think the way, Anirno actually writes it, especially like especially the part that you mentioned, like when she actually has to. I don't even remember the actual term how it was used in French and in Italian, but yeah, it's it's similar. Like you feel like you have to, you know, uh, purge yourself almost. I think that's so important because if it if it was still trying to if she was still trying to give it, you know, to all of this some semblance of, uh, you know, humanity, you could say to the yeah. to the act to the fetus i mean and all of that you'd risk going into the very dangerous territory that you know something like last year last year's blonde went into which despite being a a, a movie that i enjoyed you know there's undeniably very questionable choices in there so you go like what the fuck are you doing here oh no oh no and even in the book those elements are present in a way that's more tactful but it, it still can make you Turn out, uh, I, don't, I don't fully agree with what you're doing. I can get it, but I don't agree. And so to have something as stark and just just real as this hits you like a sledgehammer, and she doesn't she doesn't get lost in any graphic detail as well, which is welcome. Like she describes what needs to be described. She doesn't lose herself into gratuity. It's like, yeah, yes. this is what happened. And and they, she literally, I just moved on. I managed to, you know, ended up in the hospital. Thankfully, they said it was just a miscarriage. And whew, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm safe. And, and I, I managed to live my life. She says it as well. Like she was like, yeah, I ended up getting children. I ended up having, you know, a, a proper life and, and uh, it just wasn't the right time. That's, that's, I think what is key, absolutely key to this book for me is the way she enforces it. Like if I had done this, I would have hated this child. <laughs> If I if I wouldn't have had the love that I actually end up having for my children. I wouldn't I wouldn't be the, the woman that I am today, and and it made me reflect so 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 hard on on some people that I know that that you know ended up being having having emergency pregnancies. Let's say it's just like well, ah, I guess I guess that's it. And their life completely changed from night to day, and you know all of the dreams. I'm, I'm gonna go have a have a master's abroad, and I'm hoping to move to to the Netherlands because that's where I, where I'd like to dream. It's like nope. I'm five years later. She's just stuck now with two children uh, in a very very small town, and 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 you know it's it's heartbreaking. And so you also understand that it's not an easy choice at all. And I think that's why. A story like this is so important, so 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 important to to tell, to to share, and you know, thank you and here now it's a given at this point, but just thank you for doing this. I don't even know how to say it in a nicer way, um, but yeah. There's also something that about, especially about this book, uh, that I didn't find in in the film. I I understand why I didn't find it in the film though. But what what she managed to do, both in the years and in this, is that she creates a, a collective character. Uh, she it it's a lot of times in the book in their final pages just reflects on it. She actually talks about how she felt that every woman that went through that made part of um, of her journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something so beautiful to watch because the point of view where she she writes she is constantly describing other people that are around us. She she's completely aware of what of her, her surroundings. But not only that, the the same places where she goes, they they have memory, and she keeps evocating that that memory. The mm-hmm. final mo- moments of the book where she reflects on. The people that went through that bedroom, even herself, mm-hmm. before she she gets into the office, uh, or the moment where she actually looks at—I don't know if it was the the actual door or the even the stairs—but how many mm-hmm. women have stepped on this uh, on these steps, and how many will come before me, and how are they part of my journey? Um, she just has a beautiful way of evocating memory and turning herself into part of something bigger, but never in like I would say a, a martyr or a pretentious way uh, like I'm a mm-hmm. symbol or something no, she feels part of many and that is completely captured uh, in the book and there's also something that I keep I keep asking myself, and I actually want to ask you this question yeah. um, what do you feel it is, is the happening itself is it the abortion, or is it the pregnancy? Because I kept felt uh, I kept feeling that it was actually the pregnancy. When I uh, before I started the the book, I had the, the the idea that the the happening itself would be the abortion. Mm-hmm. 
as I was writing it, um, she has a moment where she actually says that she can't even write the word pregnant because mm-hmm. she can she can't name it uh, because it will make it uh, real. Mm-hmm. And the way that she avoids that word uh, and it actually the 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 book itself it's called the happening something that she cannot name. Um, I, I think if it is the the pregnancy that is the happening, I think it's even more powerful because she's uh, she's not she's not making something out of the abortion. She's mm-hmm. making something out of a forced pregnancy, um, and that it gives her agency. It gives the journey a different meaning, and it gives the the actual abortion a, a different meaning too. It's like it, it, it's not the thing in itself. It's it's what makes you move on. Uh, and yes. I think that's a, an interesting discussion to have. Yeah, it's it's actually something that I, I, I did find interesting considering the English translation because it, they do call it happening. And they, probably that's the same way that they translate it in the book whenever she uses the word evenement. But I find it interesting because in Italian it's called, it translates to the event more so than the happening. Uh, which is closer to, I think, maybe even the Portuguese. The Portuguese uh, is actually the, the, the happening, o, so it has okay. the prefix. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, 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 that's actually a very interesting reading. I do f- fall close to you. Uh, I, do, I do think it's probably the, the actual concept, not the conception, but yeah, you know, because that's, in a, in a narrative sense, you could even say it's the inciting incident. It's like, whoops, she's pregnant, what now? Yeah, what's going to happen next but it even moves I think the way that she just structures the book as we've said that you know it's this very brief paragraphs that can cover very brief or very long periods of time those end up being smaller happenings smaller events in their own right and all of those hold some kind of significance I think to, to her and that's kind of the beauty of this old book it's something that I've said many times before, I don't even know if on this podcast, but just in life in general, a story that becomes so personal, so intimate, with so many details that are 100% a person's lived-in experience, it ends up feeling way more universal than if she were trying to, I don't know, make it... If she were actually trying to make it more universal, or if she set out to write a fiction story, maybe... um, there's so many parts where you can just see, kind of see yourself even, um, which is, you know, I maybe ironic coming from a cis man, but it is like there are even the, the ways that she that she talks about and discusses, you know, um, when she's at parties and she's fully aware of how the situation is. There is like women have desires and men have desires, but there's no actual way of, actually doing anything you know having any kind of relationship because it might fuck you up and even later on there's this other moment where she goes to church she talks about like yeah after the abortion everything i i I decided to go to church and kind of confess what i did (laughs) she regrets it instantly she's like why did i I do this and kind of kills her whole uh, hope and belief in religion which i found to be which again is something that i find very personal i was like yeah it's there are moments where you kind of look at who you are and, and, and how you just see the world and knowing that there are some people that will not accept it. It kind of kills part of you, but also you have to be strong enough to move forward. And there's all these little moments in there that are just so beautiful, so 
so touching. Uh, it's all those little happenings, yeah. <laughs> you could say. Um, yes. Speaking of of happenings, uh, we this is a, as good a time as any to fully transition into talking about the film as well. Happening, which premiered at the 2021 Venice Film Festival, uh, where it actually won the prestigious Golden Lion achievement. And not just the Golden Lion achievement, it won unanimously. So every single member of the jury was like, this is the best film of the competition. Um, and the both of us were actually very lucky to be there at Venice Film Festival that year. Uh, I don't think you saw it, though. At yes, which screen. is amazing, because I've watched <laughs> most of the films from competition. <laughs> and then one of the few that I didn't actually won, which was uh, something uh, amazing. That festival That's... had really a, a, an amazing lineup, that as you said. So winning this, uh, w- uh, being the, this is the film that won, it's made it something. Especially with Bong Joon-ho in the, in the jury. Th- that was unexpected. Yes. Um, I, I, I remember uh, seeing the actual closing ceremony in this big screening room at the festival and people were not happy. Like you could tell few select here and there were like, yes, oh yeah, you know, go. Uh, we love her and we love already one and all that. But most people were upset because it's, you know, in a competition that had uh, bigger American names or more I hate to use that term, but it's the only one that's coming to, to mind. More cinematic films. You know, oh my, there's the musical sequences and there's the action and there's the thrills and the big loud acting. Like there's there's a full package, you know. Levinimont ended up winning. And 100% it was a, a political choice because, of course, there's always a level of politics when it comes to awards decisions. But I also think it was the right award to give. And with, this kind of makes me upset, which is kind of what I want to talk about first, first and foremost. That you know, a, a prestigious film festival like Venice can be used to uh, push certain films. So it's like, yes, we're gonna take this movie that's based on a true story about an abortion. It's very grounded. It's very real. It's very raw. We're gonna put it out into the world because everyone's everyone's gonna want to screen the Golden Lion winner. And it didn't happen. Yeah, happening got a very poor push, a very poor distribution. No one really wanted to pick it up, probably because of the subject matter. It didn't end up going pretty much anywhere. You know, a couple of awards here and there, afterwards, primarily in France and a couple of smaller festivals. But you know, many were hoping it would be considered for the international competition in France. Both, I think, it was eligible maybe for twenty twenty two. But it wasn't chosen, and neither in 2021. I think it was Titan's uh, year as a pick, which also was not nominated. But yes, I'm curious, first of all, how do you feel about this film? And how do you feel about the way it's not been seen, pretty much, outside of very select few cinephiles? Yeah, this this was screened in Portugal not an insane amount of times. It was actually uh, done with 
some other stuff based on uh, uh, other any year knows books uh, was like a simple passion or something they made uh, like a double feature with it and there was uh, some people that went uh, to talk about abortion in those uh, in those screenings it was an interesting it is an interesting experience mm-hmm. i've actually i've actually watched like much later um in a screening that was just focused on it because the film had like a three weeks rotation and i would mm-hmm. say that it's for many reasons first of them it's from a almost an unknown uh, director in a film that wasn't completely unanimous and when everyone was talking about venice that year they were talking about even if they they weren't in competition they were talking about last night in soho june <laughs> spencer i would say uh, a lot there was amazing cinema in venice that year and yeah uh, that win came a bit uh, out of nowhere it was and it was nothing like bizarre and shocking like titan for example that mm-hmm. i still think it's a masterpiece i love that film to bits um but it's it's not something that people would actually think about like it's being something absurd like i need to to go and watch it no it was something that is a really intimate story uh, it's a really tough watch to uh, it has a character that is, it's a loner and the film is a very lonely thing and Mm. I'm gonna talk about it a bit, a bit after this, uh, but yeah, I think it's because I, I don't know if there's something to be said about not only she's being an unknown director, but also a woman. I don't know if that is actually something. Both of those together might have been uh, quite a, a big problem. I would say too that even if now I know when you're no, but uh, before all of this, I I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ju- I just I just got to her after she won her Nobel Prize, and I was like, okay, yeah, uh, it, it matched the time where I was trying to get back into reading. So yeah, let me try this, and it was actually amazing um but yeah so it's not a particularly um known uh writer i would say out of the of the right of the reading circle i would say uh the director is not well known there's no uh familiar faces in the mm-hmm. in the cast as well uh yeah there's a lot of stuff and of course as you said but i think that goes without saying the subject matter uh, it's not an amazingly popular uh, and it's easy to show a film like this for example in lisbon in the or maybe in porto another big city in portugal but you get this film to more rural areas i would say mm-hmm. and there wouldn't be a single bum in that house so yeah there's a lot but i think it says a lot about the film itself and i think it says something good and says also something quite bad about ourselves. Yeah, it's not a good look for society uh, at large in this sense. I was I I I remember watching this film, um, knowing nothing about it. I legit went to the to the first screening. It was like, I don't know the story. I don't know the director. The buzz there was a little bit of buzz of like, oh yeah, this is a good one. You should watch it. So that's the only reason why I went. I think it was even like a 10 p.m. screen. It was late. Yeah, it was. It was. Late. I actually remember that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and surprisingly enough, uh, even though it was very late and they usually fall asleep on those types of screenings, um, I was hooked. I was very much into it. I didn't love the film, but I was taken aback by by the style of it all. I think you said it perfectly. Like This is about a lonely woman. It's a lonely film about a lonely woman who's constantly isolated by people around her, and that comes instantly clear as soon as the film starts. 
because it's in 4x3, this boxed aspect ratio, and it's shot, I want to say, entirely with one lens, a 50mm lens, I believe, because it's so tight. It's not excessively claustrophobic, but it's very hard to see other people in the frame. Uh, it's very hard to have a wide shot in this film. It's all tight on Anne, Annie, the, the protagonist, who's, let's say, kind of a slightly fictionalized version of Ernaud uh, herself because she's given a, a, a secondary name that's not hers. Uh, she's she's called Anne Duchesne. Duchesne. Anne Duchesne. And, and I was genuinely shocked <laughs> at some points in the film, primarily for just how, and this kind of ties with the book as well, just how straightforward it is and no nonsense. Whenever there are parts about, you know, when she goes to the doctor and she's like, I, I want to do something about this, you know, help me out. I don't want this baby. Help me out, please. Uh, to when she actually tries to uh, have an abortion herself with knitting needles, which is rough. rough. It's graphic. Again, it's graphic, but not gratuitous. It's almost explicit, but she hides enough to maintain, uh, to respect more so. It's not even maintain, but just respect the protagonist and the actual real life story, I think it's executed beautifully and it hit me really, really hard on rewatch. Um, especially after having reread the book, there's so much, there's so much that I love about this film. Um, and I do believe the other element that didn't help this movie when it came out, which actually kind of disappointed me, uh, especially from some critics, because it did have a good support, you know, critics-wise. They were like, yeah, this is amazing. Uh, a lot of them said, this this is our golden lion, and they were uh, very happy when it actually won it. But the most, the most su- surprising thing was that a lot of people didn't like it because they ended up comparing it to other films about abortion. And I think the two that are kind of the main... Uh, movies you could say about that topic in the last couple of decades are four months three weeks and two days by christian munju a romanian film and then you have never rarely sometimes always from the u.s which came out just the year before during the pandemic again another movie that had a very unfortunate release but it was more widely seen and while i can kind of see the comparisons i did find it kind of i don't want to say upsetting but also yes upsetting that there was a very dismissive um, dismissive way of approaching this film happening because of the comparisons to these other two films, especially Munju's movie, because it's uh, it's more... It's, it's I don't know, it's the critic's favorite, maybe, we could say. Uh, and I know you love both of those movies, and rightfully so, I, I love them too, but do you feel maybe... How do you feel about the way that Odredi One actually portrays all of this because to me it feels very personal uh which is kind of lacking from you know like Munju's more detached style uh, but it feels falls closer to you know never rarely and uh, eliza's yes. direct yeah I, I would say i would say that i i think that there is a loneliness to never rarely sometimes always mm. that i think we can easily uh find uh, in uh, in happening it, I, I think that um, Christian Munju's film is more political mm. than this one, which is interesting because I think the book is a, a lot more uh, political than it is this film. Uh, the Lanier Nose book and, and the film itself. Yeah. 
and I, I would say that is one of the main differences um, because when I, when we look at how uh, Arnaud's writing is a lot focused on that specific moment in the 60s how they feel what they what they are and I, and I mean maybe I do have more of this experience because I've had, I've read the years that is much more of a collective a story that talks about a lot about this period of the sixties and her experience with abortion too, uh, but it's it actually manages to to make her experience much more collective than, for example, you can see in the happening. But I would say that uh, the film itself it's so it, it keeps the intimacy, uh, as you said. the The camera is never claustrophobic, but you're really close to to her face. You feel everything that she's feeling, and when the the moment comes uh, in the final in the final ten minutes. Um, most of what you see and you, what your despair comes from her face, from the pain she's feeling, from the groans for her lack of breath. She's sweating uh, mm-hmm. when she's sat on t- on the on the sink and she's just uh, on the toilet. Sorry, and she's trying to. F- uh, she doesn't want to look down, and the camera just slowly follows her and goes back up so mm. quickly because she's actually afraid to to look at it. Then she has as the book. It's really cold, but it's never gratuitous, and there is not a moment of fat in it. Every shot, especially in these moments, every shot counts. Every way, there's no. Um, gratuitous nudity this film has a lot of nudity mm. and it should have because it's something that it it actually touches a lot about the the, the power of the female body and, and your agency towards towards it and how she she actually wants to, to take her own body and there is one moment and i i am sorry if i th- this was something that you're going to talk about later but i think it i'll go for it yeah it really focuses something that you said there there is a moment in this film that completely broke me, uh, and it's it's something that is just mentioned in such a cold and dismissive way in the book that it really sh- uh, just shook me. Now that I've watched the film again after reading the book and see how that moment was really amplified, it's a moment where she goes to to the doctor, and she asks, uh, and she says that yeah, I, I took shots, and he, he asks what shots. And then she, the the doctor tells her that he gives it a stradiol, I think that's the name, that just constrains the um, the fetus, um, the embryo womb, yeah, and the face she does, the way she looks, it's uh, it was a, a moment of rape, it was a moment mm. of sexual violence coming towards her, and she, uh, the child, or oh, the fetuses, I'm sorry, that she carries in in her, it was not. A result of rape, but from that point on, it was. Uh, and I think the film, also the book, but in the book is such is such a short passage. It's it's, some, it's something like she's she's telling it in such a natural way. It's like yeah, she gave me the the doctor gave me this. Uh, I didn't know, but in the in the film when you actually see a reaction to it and the shock in her face, and even the doctors, uh, but the shock in her face. Uh, it's uh, it's a moment of sexual violence, uh, and that th- this film touches in this way that it I I didn't find uh, in a book, and it was mm-hmm. uh, an amazing and outraging moment. Yeah, this is a good moment to give a shout out to to the main actress Ana Maria Bartolomé. Yes. Oh, 
Oof. What an amazing performance. She's Jesus, yeah. amazing. Uh, like you just said, there's so many moments in here that you read about in the book that yeah. are described in... Um, and probably it is the... You know the fact that it is kind of a retrospective. She's, you know, she's just looking back on what happened uh, in an almost objective way, kind of detaching herself from the narrative to kind of give it an honest portrayal. This is what Anirno does, uh, while still adding some, you know, the personal emotions that she went through and uh, some poetic flourishes here and there. But to see it just in the film, all those little moments, and that that was, I, I remember watching it the first time, especially. I was like, "Fuck, it's 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 upsetting." Yes. It's very upsetting. And that was the moment when I was rewatching it as well, where I was like, this is one of the key moments why I, I genuinely think the book, but also the film, should be shown in schools. Yeah. Maybe even to just everyone with a capital E, just just you know, force force watch them, <laughs> force them to watch the movie. Because I I would be shocked if anyone can see this film, watch this experience. And maybe you can, you know, you could say, I'm, I don't really agree with abortion. She shouldn't be doing that. But I think you get sucked into the narrative a little bit. You start kind of rooting for her. I can see some people be like, man, but, you know, it's a movie, it's a story. Let's see where it goes. If you get to that point and you're not shocked, if you're not angry at what the doctor did, I, I, I think you have no soul. <laughs> Just yeah. straight up, you're soulless. And there are so many parts in this book that feel like slaps in this film. Sorry, that just seeing them portrayed in such a grounded way, such a realistic way, is just a, such a slap in the face. There are so many parts that just anger me. And I think the two that one that angers me the most is when you know Anne she kind of confides herself with one of the classmates, one of her let's call him call him a friend, quote unquote a friend, and he's like, yeah, you know. This is what's happened. You know a lot of girls. Maybe you know someone who's actually tried to get an abortion, you know. Uh, and he kind of decides to help her out and he invites her to dinner at home. And again, this is a, a part that's present in the book, but the way that you see it in the film, that's also borderline rape. Like, it's it's sexual assault almost. It's like, oh, you know, you're, you already have a child, so it's, nothing bad's going to happen from this if we have sex, which is disgusting. You can you can go to like oh yeah this is that's everything that was going into your mind It's like oh yeah maybe I can get something out of this you know uh, and the other part that's a bit upsetting but just sad especially on rewatch that's where it was that's where I kind of switched my opinions around a little bit is when she tells what's happening to her friends and you know there's there's this very interesting moment earlier on in the film where. You know, one of the girls says, I would never have sex. I, I kind of tease, I kind of flirt, but I, I couldn't do it because it would actually ruin my life. But she kind of experiments with, with self-pleasure a lot. Uh, and there's this very intimate moment with the three girls together, which feels almost voyeuristic. Like, I, sh I shouldn't be watching this, but it's, you know, it's showing you just the extent of, you know, you have to find ways to kind of placate your desire if you don't want to mess up. And unfortunately... And quote unquote messes up, and it's not on her. I mean, she, it, it, that's also the other thing. It's she's never criticized for what she did, and that's kind of the, I think, key to the whole movie to make it work. You never feel like, oh well, you know, this is on you. Why did you do this, girl? Like, nah. 
and that's amazing. That's so beautiful. But when she talks to the girls, and you see the blonde friend especially, who's instantly like, nope, nope, I'm out. Yeah, instantly. Gonna... Yeah. Instantly. Oh, it's it's a switch. Completely. And the, the first time, again, I was like, fuck, fuck you, girl. But then it, you understand. It's like, well, you get where she's coming from. You've, you've seen her, how she acts throughout the entire film. And you also don't really blame her. And they like that the film doesn't blame her. Because that's what a lot of people did yeah. back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but also you have the other girl who kind of tries to be supportive. Uh, but yeah, no, there, there's so many small moments like this in the film that hit you like a like a freight train. Just, yeah. oh. That, that exchange. Uh, actually, you mentioned, uh, I would, I would, actually talk about that first you mentioned the the situation where she goes to the to the guy's house mm -hmm. uh, and that that is a moment where he says yeah but you're already pregnant there's no problem and there's two things in that scene that really shook me the first one is the look that she gives to him Oof. on the door she she does she does a look to to the camera and it can it encapsulates what what the book says because the book or know herself says yeah this is kind of fucked up but mm -hmm. i kind of understand where he's coming from uh yeah he's right he's, he just wants pleasure and it's easy pleasure and in that performance uh, when she looks at him i don't i don't see just disgust i see kind of a moment where she actually thinks about it practically and it's like yeah maybe you're right and she just storms off but there is a practicality to uh, to the moment or, or, or to the the way she interprets what he says that it it, it doesn't even demonize what he's saying which is really weird <laughs> it's really fucked up what he says but the film itself doesn't tell you that even the main character as disgusted that she is she looks at him almost like understanding mm -hmm. in a practical way what he's saying but i think that scene is fucked up before that because the whole conversation they have on the table where she where he's sexualizing the experience of her getting pregnant and trying all the to, details yes trying to make his experience his mm -hmm. and to take pleasure out of her misery and out of that moment that might have just destroyed her completely her life that moment yes was insanely disgusting and there is a moment in this film and I'm not only just now realizing where do I know that face because I spent the two times I watched the film trying to understand who that uh, Elaine's uh, actress was, and now it yeah. clicked me. It's the girl from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, also pregnant in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Ah, and I, I didn't and I'm right. pretty sure she's the one that gets the abortion. I'm pretty sure she is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so there is also another element oh. to, to this film. Um, but those two have, have one moment in this film that I think just gives you a lot of of that collective uh, memory that Erno gets in her book. With, when, when it's the moment when she says, I did a lot of times. I just wasn't as lucky as you. You weren't just as lucky as me. Um, and at that moment, that is the only moment in this film where this character actually has any uh, sympathy from, mm -hmm. from someone. And it's actually really, really beautiful. Um, there is also the moment where she, she hugs her mom and it's like a long hug and her, her mom just 
understands that something is wrong. Uh, and it's such a beautiful and heart-wrenching moment. Once again, of unknown female solidarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Erno has a really beautiful way of writing about her parents, uh, both in the years and not as much in, in the happening, but when, when it's there, it's uh, quite interesting. Um, but the way she puts her family there in that moment where she just listens to music with them and they're just bickering with each other and laughing. Um, she's almost like looking at what she has and she doesn't want that destroyed and that almost mm-hmm. gives her more motivation to just move on. And when you when she has that appointment at the doctor and, he's, and she says, I want a child, but I... I, I not instead of a life. That line is amazing. And um, yeah, there's a lot of beauty in this film. I would say that the feeling of it is much different than the book. Um, yes. I think the book is, it feels more collective and this film feels really lonely and just an, an agency journey of a woman trying to get control uh, of her body. Mm-hmm. It's It almost felt like a... Which I, I I do want to believe it was entirely intentional. It does feel like it's almost framed as a thriller of sorts. Sometimes, uh, yeah. There's there's the use of music that really stuck with me the second time around, where it's just, you know, this string and this piano like piano notes, they're very discordant with each other. And there's this dissonance that it's a bit you know, scary even at times. And this music kind of evolves throughout the film and it becomes more and more prevalent and it becomes louder and it becomes almost a full-blown orchestra until you actually have this explosion of music towards the end um, where it really hits you in the feels and and that is also when I realized like you know there might have been so many more flashy movies 2021 that deserved attention uh, but this is still inherently cinematic in the way it is put together. Uh, and it is unfair to compare it to, to some other films, but even just comparing it to the book, like you said in the beginning, in your opening statement, you're completely right. It's It doesn't necessarily complement the book, but they do kind of walk the same path, one at a different time from the other. Uh, the book gives you this very personal, very, you know, first person perspective of what happened and the film is more you know it is still very intimate but it is more cold just generally speaking uh which works in its favor and it's and 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 just speaking of coldness i think the ending the entire final part of the film the way it's just shot and made uh i forgot it's primarily long takes and i cannot imagine choreographing the entire sequence in the house um, with the, with the I don't know how to call her, with the madam that helps Anne out. It's all one take and it's painful and it's, you know, it's, it's a transaction. At the end of the day, it's a transaction what they're doing. They're just, I'm paying you and you're doing a service. And it does play very well into what Anir now writes in her book. Because it's not trying to, she's not trying to, you know, like to name the child that's that's growing inside her. She's not trying to think about it 
in any way that can humanize, can make it feel more personal and more, more also just harder, just harder to go through with the entire procedure. Uh, and the fact that it doesn't work the first time around and she has to go back, it is all present in the book, even when she ends up in the hospital, but it is written from someone who, you know, survived it, of course, and it's 40 years later and she's kind of recounting these events, but actually seeing it in the film, it isn't anxiety-inducing. And you start seeing her. You mentioned like all of the details of the sweat and just, the, oh, she's just coming and she's struggling and nothing's happening and she's just checking and there's no blood and oh my God. And the stoppage of music too, <sighs> because the, the music stops at the moment she understands that she needs to... Yeah, so the music actually evolves as her pregnancy is. Uh, yes. And it stops at the exact moment that her pregnancy stops too. Which is a moment we we mentioned it earlier, but I don't, I don't know why, but it felt way more graphic the first time around seeing it. I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe they actually showed it. Um, it's so brief. Yeah, I, I so feel brief. you. Yeah, I, I feel you. Uh, when I watched this film again, I was expecting to be... I was clenching more in the moments where I was looking at her face uh, more than the actual uh, thing that was uh, in the toilet or even the needle scene. I think the moment mm. where I actually was aching more was when she was doing the procedure and she was comp- always like clenching her hips. Like she's groaning and clenching and uh, oh that's uh, that this time that was the moment that really got me was the the groans and the the contractions of her hips and her legs when she was doing the the procedure that was tough but it's not it, it doesn't linger it's so brief especially in the final shots it's so brief mm-hmm. yeah and and it all goes back to you know why she did it in the end and even in the film, I think it, it does kind of portray her, her dreams and her ambitions very well. Um, even even when she goes back to her parents and the mom just slaps her when she's talking about like, ah, why, why do you care about my grades? It's like, fuck you. Like, I'm slaving away to support you so that you can actually go to school, study, actually do something that you would like <laughs> in your life, something that was never given to her. Uh, you know, it's 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 a slap. It's a very strong physical act, but you do perf- you understand perfectly where it's coming from, and it's like, yeah, the stakes are real, um, and even the, the conversations that that the conversations that she has with her professor, who kind of starts demeaning her, like, ah, you just stop caring. Uh, why should I help you out by giving you notes for class? Would you ever pull it off? It's it's. You know, I, I think it's very beautiful, especially, again, like you said, I didn't know what year no was. I didn't even know going into the film that it was based on a, on, a, on a true story. And so to actually watch it, to actually know what ended up happening to her, for her in her career, to actually become so successful and such an important female voice, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And it is a big, big shame that at the end of the day, this film is not as well known as probably it should be. Uh, maybe it's the English, it's the lack of English language as well. I don't know. I think something like Never Learn was easier to yeah, <laughs> to sell, course, it, to it, market. It, it doesn't help. But it's it's a shame because even 
especially when you look at the book, this was an incredibly hard uh, adaptation to do because it, it her books, mm. uh, the years, it's the exact same thing. They are sparse. There's no narrative there. It's just thoughts and it's just memories. Uh, there is actually no, yeah, this character is going from here to here. She's talking to this. She's saying this. There's nothing of that. The... Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a skeleton, but then OGD one, and I think it's like I think it's called Machine Romano something yes. like that. Yeah, she uh, the other screenwriter had to give some narrative bones to it because the book itself doesn't doesn't have them. It's a, an intimate, and it's a it, it's, she's talking about her own experience, not as a character, but at herself and what she was thinking at the moment and how mm-hmm. she's seeing herself looking at that moment. But this, it had to add dialogue, and the dialogue is all always so, so beautiful, so poignant, so well written, so realistic. Uh, they, you, you need to to actually just give some credit to that, because nothing of that is on the book. And when you need to add dialogue and a, a character in uh, actually to a book that doesn't have them, but at the same time is so personal and not compromising the feel of it. Mm-hmm. It was an amazingly hard thing to, to pull off. And I think script-wise, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing adaptation. Yeah, beautifully put. It's may, may, This may be the first time where we're talking about a non-fiction book that was adapted into a fiction film, or at least something that's not a, a documentary, per se, into a historical drama. Um, and it is, it is a stellar, stellar work. Um, even just the way they actually recreate 1963, uh, it's not. It's not. You know, it doesn't draw too much attention to itself. I think it's not uh, showy. I would say it's, it's not very, showy. It's very organic. It's very natural. Uh, that's that's something that hit me because I I, I watched the film with with my parents, uh, and actually there's a the moment of of the needle that you mentioned earlier when she's actually injecting the the supposedly helpful medicine um, into her leg. And it actually brought back memories into my mom. It was like, oh, I, I remember those needles. They were like these thick fucking needles in the 60s. <laughs> so she was she was little. They were painful as hell. And you actually see that it, like, it's not a nice syringe as you would have it nowadays. It's like you can actually see the needle very clearly. And it's this attention to detail that it's, it, that immerses you into the experience. Um, in a very strong way, and yeah, it's. I, I'm just so happy I got to rewatch this film. I wanted to do it for the entirety of last year. I was like, 2022, I'm gonna find a way to rewatch Happening. It didn't happen, but finally, I did it. And it was well worth it. Yes, and uh, it should come come to a conclusion for us. As yeah, I, you were more a filmmaker, I'm more a film critic. <laughs> uh, and there's something to be said about how this film wasn't pushed enough by some critics. Oof. And it should. Because sometimes, yeah, the films aren't just as seen as others, but the critics just help it uh, a bit. And this film was... I think wrongly dismissive because of other stuff that was nice in in Venice Film Festival, and this wasn't even after I, I, I've watched it a, a lot after a long time after Venice Film Festival, and it's not uh, even close to be one of my favorite films from from that year or that that festival in itself. But it's such a beautiful, important, well made, a well performance, and 
just insanely relevant and personal story that it needed more attention it needed more push from from some critics um and needed people to see and it needed help from people like us from other film journalists to just push it a bit more and so uh yeah it comes to to a point where we need to actually think about our own responsibility about why isn't this film more seen what can i do um then there's some stuff that needs to be done about about this film yeah i i don't know how helpful this psa can be because if you're still listening to this episode you've likely read the book or maybe even watched the movie but in case you haven't First of all, thank you for, for sticking around for so long. But also, if you're in the US, and a lot of our listeners are from the US and the UK, in the UK, this is streaming exclusively on movie. And from what I know, it's the only country where movie is screening it, which is a bit of a shame. But in the US, you can watch it on Hulu and AMC+. Plus. So, you know, two fairly big, I guess, screening streaming services. So check it out if you haven't already. And... I do believe down the line this will genuinely go down as, you know, oh, why didn't people talk about it? And it's the unfortunate thing about festival darlings, because right now we're we're living in a world where four months, three weeks, and two days has existed for what two thousand and seven. So it's been over sixteen years almost by now. Yes. But that film similarly didn't make that much money. It wasn't as well-known back then. But, you know, through word of mouth, through critics pushing it, through best films of the 2010s, it did end up growing a bit of a following. And I do hope and believe that because of the Venice connection and because of some critics who have supported this from the first moment they saw it, uh, I do think this will have uh, a long-lasting life. Which is also why, you know, it's not the first book that someone would like to talk about on a book versus film podcast (laughs) such as this one but i did think it was important to kind of shine a spotlight on it um even if it is not uh, as well known as other books that we've talked about like twilight uh, or the one uh episodes like our future episodes that we will have on this show Raphael, i have one last question for you then which one do you like best a near nos book or the film, and I think this is one of the tougher choices. Yeah, because have. I don't think it's really fair competition. I would mm. say uh, because this book is—I uh, I mean, I—I I have uh, right now. Uh, I'm a bit in love with Erno's writing, uh, so I think that might uh, might be something to it. But it's such an intimate uh, way of writing and so insightful and so beautiful yes sometimes cold but always uh, beautiful and poignant and self-reflective that i just can't get away with it i i think the film is wonderful it's really important but sometimes we 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 say that a film is important but yeah it might not be it's not in terms sometimes of quality but just in the terms of the the importance of the material in it but it's actually a super well made well written uh, well shot and well acted film that has uh, an interesting and important message in it uh, and i really like this film but i think for me it is going to be the book yeah i will to kind of balance things out i'll pick the film uh even though it is a just a tight race 
titrates for both. And I do believe both should be experienced at least once in your life. But, you know, I I can see a lot of people, which is, which is a shame, but, you know, people don't read anymore. <laughs> we try to fight that with this podcast. Trying to correct that. Trying to correct that, but people don't read, sadly. Uh, and while happening is is it's literally it's literally an afternoon read like you pick this book at the, at your local library on a friday saturday afternoon you can take it off and just read this book you'll be done before dinner <laughs> trust me uh but for those who are uh, a bit more lazy but also just to maybe even show it in class or kind of show it to more people i think the visual medium in this case can help and affect uh, audiences more than by just simply reading it even though the book is so so powerful so so powerful i think there's something hypnotic about the film and its rhythm that kind of hooks you in never lets go until the end and it's it's an emotional gut punch that just lands very effectively but yeah this is it for this episode of the death adaptation podcast Raphael, where can our listeners follow you on social media and where can they read uh, via Google Translate your, <laughs> <laughs> your writing? So, so yeah, I write in Portuguese in uh, fiocondutor.com.pt. Uh, uh, I have my letterbox at uh, RJR Felix, I think. That yes. is the same for Twitter where I give some, some takes. Uh, last few days I've just been annoyed about uh, well, quiet on the Western Front, <laughs> but yeah, I tried watching it. You can you can find me there. Yes, lovely, lovely. You can follow me as always at nickgra 97 on Twitter and Instagram. There you can find links to everything. You know, letterbox, my clapper reviews, my YouTube videos, and the short films that I make. Uh, which actually, by the time this is released. There is a kind of a short film that I made, kind of adjacent to this story that's come out because I'm hoping to release it on February 1st. So you can check out my choice. It's called on Vimeo and YouTube. And of course, stay tuned. You can follow, of course, this podcast on Twitter and Instagram, respectively, Death Adaptation and Death Adaptation Pod. In two weeks' time, we'll be back in March, brand new month, brand new podcast. Where I'll be joined again by you and Gledo to talk about Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs and David Cronenberg. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a heavy episode. Lots of homework to do in preparation for that, but it's gonna be fun. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for sticking with us, and I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye bye. <laughs>